Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 183 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 39 of A Storm of Swords, that's Aria 7. And as you probably know by now, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you, and hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. I I will actually say, normally, pedantry is about 1% of the script, and today (laughs) it's about 20% of the script. I'm very happy about that. At least 20%, yeah. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes they'll provide some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter how are you sir i am doing all right when you said indulge in a little pedantry i thought oh i don't think it's very little this time around (laughs) as as i said it i was like oh i know what i should say it's not gonna be little (laughs) Uh, i'm doing all right how about you i'm okay mustn't grumble i've been playing a lot of soccer i'm very tired discovered that i'm getting old and you're also getting good exercise, so yeah, true. you know. Yeah, my I'm I'm bifurcated. One, the, my my in work team is top of the league, 100 percent record. My out of work league, I am equally perfect, but on the loss front, oh, we've lost on every the wrong. Game. Yes, Uh-oh. so that's and, uh... and last night I missed a chance which will haunt me for a long time. It was a beautiful move. It would have been a glorious goal had we scored it, and I just. The easiest part was the finish, and I put it wide. Oh. It happens. Yeah. That's the agony of sports. Yep. Yeah, so um, I have, I have a story. It's not particularly funny, but it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. Sort of like sort of how we are, what we are in the world, you and me, McKelly. Okay. So, what so my, are we? My tennis partner, Alex, he, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he, he's a compatriot. He's my age. He's similar educational background, you know, has a professional job, nice family, you know, all those kind of things. He's a good guitarist. He's he's a learned guitar late in life. I mean, he, when he was 40, he could barely play the guitar. And now he's getting older. He's gotten very good. And he's formed a band. And I'm like, how excited is that? You know, you're just you know, like reliving your youth. All right, and good stuff. They've recorded an album and the album's available on Bandcamp or whatever. I should okay. know as a friend. I should have bought it, but I haven't. Um, <laughs> but he's often complaining about the other members of his band not being able to get things together. Like practice often gets cancelled because one of them drops out at the last minute and this kind of thing. And sure, he's complaining sure. about the fact that they are younger than him. They have less life responsibilities. They Some of them don't appear to work, at least in his sort of like description of them. (laughs) But they can't keep it together. He's writing the songs and hosting the the practice sessions and all this. Right. And he just feels he's getting increasingly angry. And they just recently they fired the drummer and the singer. So (laughs) So about 50 percent of the band. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But he was describing this whole thing. and And he used me as the as the sort of yardstick of what. Okay. Yes. He said. Yes. He said. Look at you. You're successful. You have a family that loves you. 
and you have a successful podcast. He said, you know, and you keep it together and you don't seem terribly stressed by any of this. He said, these guys just couldn't. And I was like, well, that's actually kind of nice of you to say. When you when you put it that way, I'm doing I, all right, I guess. I threw him a few bones like, and I'm crushing you at tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm up four sets to one. <laughs> So yes, I felt, uh, I felt very good about that. I was, I was yes, I, I was being held up as a paragon of uh, how to live in the modern world, right? And and thriving yes. while doing so. Good I guess stuff. He, good stuff. I, I've got the wool pulled over his eyes. I'm a, I'm a shambling wreck behind the scenes. I mean, I cry myself to sleep. You're you're like a duck on top <laughs> yes. of the water. You know, cool, <laughs> calm, and collected. Underneath, your feet are churning like crazy. That is a good that is a good analogy. That is how things are. <laughs> well, uh I just wanted to call out the fact that um Vanessa, our one of our Lord Paramounts, has finished the background database that she had been working so diligently on. So I just wanted to, to thank her oh, on awesome. here for she, that. She, she's finished it? She's finished. Yes. Oh, I um, can't even imagine. And you just... know, she did the whole thing through the audio episodes. I know. That's incredible. That is incredible. Um, can I just tell you that I, I'm looking at you on video through my telephone or phone, uh-huh. as people call it in the modern world. <laughs> and a series of texts are flashing up between my wife and Alex's wife. And uh, she's saying he's telling a story about Alex. <laughs> he should get his lawyer. <laughs> he's you're getting called out live. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. But uh, yeah, so I just wanted to uh, officially thank Vanessa for that hard work. Yes. Not only did she pull together 182 episodes worth of background material, but she also found mistakes that we made oh. <laughs> and corrected them in the database. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> She gave an example. Of, it's all background, so it's all my mistakes. <laughs> Where I I attributed the hand of the king to the wrong king, uh, you know things oh, like that. Come on, that, yeah, so. easily done. Can, can I just keep? I'll keep you posted with the running record. So the last two texts were, "Oh crap, Simon is onto us," and <laughs> "Abort, abort." <laughs> that's funny Uh, and you know something else um i learned today is that uh chat gpt sucks at writing our summaries (laughs) (laughs) i asked it just out of curiosity i said write a summary of chapter well i was working on for next week you know so i said chapter 40 of a song of uh, a storm of swords, uh, in the style of the Ghosts of Heron Hall podcast. Brilliant! Yeah, oh my god, know, that's what a brilliant right. idea! Uh, and it came back. Started first thing it said was, "Hi, we're uh, the Ghosts of Heron Hall po- Heron Hall podcast." Yada yada yada. We're going to be discussing chapter. Wait, wait, wait. was 40. the yada 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 our yada yada yada, or was it just? Uh, it was kind of like standard, like okay, generic no, yada, us, yada yada, not our yes, yada yada. Okay. It wasn't. Uh, my name's Simon, and I'm exactly, Kelly. and and I'm Ned Flanders. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Ned Flanders. It said, um, "We are uh, today. We're going to be discussing Chapter Forty of A Storm of Swords, titled Aria." 
And then it started talking, going through this description of the Arya chapter. And I was like, no, 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 stop. There's a thing like, stop, stop. You know, you're giving me bad information. So I hit stop and I said, that's the wrong chapter. And it said, my apologies. And it started over and it went through the whole thing again. And then it said, chapter 40 of A Storm of Swords titled Catelyn and started rattling off. And I was like, no, stop. It's a brand chapter. And it said, oh, again, my apologies. And then it launched into this summary of basically like Bran's journey north from Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And and if some wonder, of the facts were completely wrong. I wonder if the prologue was throwing it off. Maybe. Maybe. I, I wonder. Because well, that would have made chapter 39 the 40th chapter, right? So. True. Yeah, maybe. I, I'll try it again. Mm. I was... I was hopeful that it could give me at least something to just like yeah, as a starter a piece, you know. Point, yeah. Yeah. Man. We got we got the little elves working on the database. We got Chat GPT <laughs> writing the summary. We'll be able to retire eventually. <laughs> Someday we'll just say, My name's Simon and I'm a Kelly, and just turn it over <laughs> to everyone else. <laughs> we'll be executive producers. <laughs> All right. Enough of this frivolity. Let's get down yes. to business. How do we leave Arya Stark? Well, last time we saw Arya, she and the Brotherhood Without Banners were in the Brotherhood's secret hideout cave. There, the Hound was accused of his crimes, mostly ones that he was innocent of, to be honest. Uh, Lord Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Mia decided the Hound would face a trial by combat against Beric. Ultimately, the Hound won, killing Beric, but getting badly burned in the process. However, while the Hound's burns were being tended to, Lord Beric miraculously bounced back, being very much alive. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? Okay. Arya and the Brotherhood Without Banners attack a sceptre held by the Brave Companions. Arya and Gendry watch it all unfold from a ridge. After the initial surprise attack, the Brotherhood Without Banners shoots fire arrows into the Sceptre, and the Brave Companions are forced to escape into the open. That's when the Brotherhood attack in full force. Uh, Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Mir seem to be everywhere at once. Arya even sees young Ned fighting at Beric's side, which makes her jealous that she can't participate. The fighting doesn't last long, though. Most of the Brave Companions die or yield. A pair of Dothraki escape, but Beric let them go. He figures they'll run to Harrenhal, and their story will give Roose Bolton and Vargo Hote some sleepless nights. The Brave Companions are rounded up, and the few remaining Brown Brothers are rescued. Septon Ut is found hiding in the Burning Septry. Arya remembers him from her time at Harrenhal with the Brave Companions. She specifically recalls how he used to weep and pray for forgiveness after he killed a boy. Uh, Makes it all okay, then. Right. Um, The brave companions are put on trial. They're accused of various atrocities known to have been carried out by their company, and Septon Ut is called out for what he'd done to the boys. All are found guilty and hung from the same tree. A mummer tree, Arya thinks. She wishes the hound was up there with them. The eight brown brothers who've survived tell of how the Sceptre was once a thriving place until the Brave Companion showed up and took their valuables, slaughtered their livestock, and burned their vineyard. They also killed most of the Order, one by one, looking for an assumed cache of gold. They were eventually told its whereabouts. Night, the Brotherhood were hosted in a nearby brew house. They were fed a meager meal, although Arya noticed, like usual, Beric Dundarian did not eat. She'd never seen him sleep, either. When Lem noticed Arya eyeing Beric's horrible battle wounds warily. 
he told her that what looked like a fatal blow from the hound earlier was just a wound, and there's no better healer than Thoros. Beric sends Lem to change out the watch. When he's gone, Beric tells Arya that even brave men blind themselves at times when they're afraid to see the truth. Lem is in denial. Beric really was killed. When asked, Thoros of Mir reveals he's revived Beric six times, of course giving all credit to R'hllor. He adds that each time is harder than the last, and if a seventh is needed, it might mean the end to both of them. Arya glimpses a possibility. Could Thoros revive a headless man just once? Thoros explains what he did. As per the rites, he kissed the dead Beric and blew the fires of Relor into him. He'd performed the rite many times before, but nobody had ever responded previously. Arya knows this means no. Beric senses her meaning and comforts her that her father was a good man. He'd rather not ransom Arya, but they need the money to perform their good works. She confides that she's worried that her family won't pay, but the grown-ups know that she's mistaking her family's attempts at education and discipline for a lack of love. Tom Sevenstring sings songs of rain in keeping with the weather. Gendry offers his service as a smith to the Brotherhood Without Banners, and Beric knights him. At this point, the Hound enters, having evaded the Watchman. He wants his gold back, and accuses them of being nothing but robbers. They spar verbally for a while, but Beric has sent the fortune south to fund the rebuilding of the Riverlands. Clegane is out of luck. The Hound registers the faces of all and departs. Angai explains that the Hound got his gold by winning the Hand's tourney. He himself won a pile in the archery contest, but blew it all at Alayaya's. Nobody sleeps well that night with thoughts of Sandor Clegane stalking them. Arya awakens to the sound of wolves. In the morning, they depart, leaving silver stags for the Brown Brothers to rebuild. Arya gives an apologetic Gendry the cold shoulder, and the Brotherhood ride out. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad Arya's chapters are moving along a little bit. I mean, I felt like she was in a holding pattern for quite a long time, but now we're getting a little right. bit of traction with it. Um, and a bit of action, too. A battle. Um, yeah, which, we had a... Yeah. Which was... It was lost from the TV show, The Battle, so I've actually completely forgotten that this happened, but they... Uh, they actually do fight in front of her, but they keep her on the peripheries. And they must be pretty hardened and good at it because the brave companions had the defensive position and they're no mugs. Right, right. That'll harden they did, themselves. The, the Brotherhood did have the uh, element of surprise True. on their hands. But, you know, uh, otherwise, yeah, you're right. They they were on the inside of the Sceptery right. and, uh, you know, should have had uh, the upper hand in that regard. And while Arya's watching it, she thinks that she should be out there. It's not fair. She sees Ned out there, and he's only a couple years older than her. It's not fair that she's stuck. At least she's got Gendry stuck watching as well. And But she thinks to herself, she couldn't complain, though, because this was battle, and you always had to obey in battle. And I thought, now oh, that's a Stark right, right. there. In true <laughs> Stark fashion, she's putting... Her differences aside for the proper battle chain of command. <laughs> Even 10-year-old Arya knows that. <laughs> I mean, R- Rickon's almost a man grown at four, but uh, <laughs> when, when the Arya, the, the Stark girls become men grown at like eight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the, the Brotherhood give uh, pretty harsh uh, justice out at the end to the people they captured, but uh, it's sort of fair, but it is, I mean, obviously extremely brutal they are 
hanging people for the hanging the brave companions for the crimes of the brave companions, which is right. tarring them all with the same brush. But I guess when you sign up to sell swords, you uh, you're one of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know Arya, we've talked before about how she possibly is becoming to desensitize to the violence all around her. Did she, did she have any scary thoughts this chapter, McGilly? She had a few. Mm-hmm. She did have a few. Just mm-hmm. uh, you know, she she was thinking to herself while the battle was going on, kill them, kill them all. And then while the uh, brave companions were being hung for their crimes, she was thinking they should they should hang the hound up there too or chop his head off uh you know which i can't say i entirely fault her for having thoughts like that i mean she's had she's lost everything she's lost everyone that she's known and loved so she's clearly quite bitter but it's just scary for a 10 year old to have those kind of thoughts uh, but i mean also inevitable given what she's seen and experienced yeah, yeah. yes no, no yes, she's ways around it yeah, she's becoming numb to this violent life that she's been uh, surrounded by, and she she just wants to participate. She wants to get out there and kill some people in this battle, and she thinks it's not fair that she hasn't been allowed to do so. You should occasionally be reminded of how she's done in actual battles. It's not that impressive. She's Every time she's wielded a sword, it's been pretty dismal. And, but remind me who Septon Ut was, because he, he gets his comeuppance here for his crimes, but I don't remember him at all, of course. So he is a lieutenant in the Brave Companions. Oh. And um, he was, he led one of the four foraging parties that Ruth sent out into the Riverlands, or maybe, I guess, via Vargo Hote. And back in Aria 10 of A Clash of Kings, that's the chapter where they escape Harrenhal. Uh, Arya was there when Kyburn told Roos that Septon Ut's party was attacked by wolves of the four-legged kind and that they killed two horses. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, from this chapter, you get that he is an absolutely horrible monster. Right. It, it, it very heavily implies that he uh, rapes and kills boys. So, you know, you, you put him right up there as far as monsters with the mountain and the tickler. Right, yes. Although, and speaking of the mountain, uh, later on in the chapter when the Brown brothers are rescued and they're talking about how this used to be a thriving place until the Lannisters and the Brave Companions showed up, and he said one particular monster uh, was killing us one by one looking for gold, and it sure seems like they're referring to the mountain and the tickler there. Okay. Because that's, that's kind of their MO. When Arya was traveling with them, they were capturing civilians torturing them asking them about gold and about Beric Dondarrion and and uh you know kind of the same thing that uh the brown brother spells out here yeah so so again we see this sort of guilt by association thing happening but i mean it's more true of the brave companions than it was of the hound i mean the hound is clearly not responsible for his brother's actions you know he's clearly has a degree of enmity towards his brother but the brave companions are group as a group, responsible for one another's actions. And so it's a little bit more understandable here. But but it's interesting to contrast that with the fact that the Brotherhood is also quite forgiving. I mean, while they're pretty brutal with their enemies, they were quite forgiving of their friends. So the um, you mentioned in the summary the 
Brotherhood came looking for the gold that they thought would be buried there, and they killed the Brown Brothers one by one until one of the ones who wasn't dead told them where to find it, and it went, they went up and found it and spared him and the remaining Brown Brothers. Now, you might say, well, that was kind of treacherous of you, given that all your other brothers gave their lives for that gold. But in actual fact, the Brotherhood, uh, Thoros, I think it is, says, yep. uh, you should have jumped in first. You should have been the first one up there because it's stupid to risk your lives for that. For the so, gold, right. So it's it's just that, that it's, it's a sort of brutal justice that they're offering, but it is kind of, it's it also has a forgiveness to it. For sure. Sure. Yeah. You know what I thought about when that Brown brother was telling that story is I was surprised if I'm right. And it was the mountain and the tickler that were the. They survived anyway. That they didn't just kill their final eight. Uh, absolutely. Know? Yeah. I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. <laughs> You've got nothing else left to bargain with at that point, you know? Right. Why are you keeping them alive? Right. Like, I'm surprised they honored their will let you live if you tell us where the gold is. I, well, maybe maybe you move to the next one in the line and say, where's the rest of the gold? <laughs> right. <laughs> now, where's all the silver? <laughs> He's going to go off on his merry way. You're, you better come up with something, too. <laughs> better give me something good, man. So for dinner, they get have a wheat cabbage soup uh, with not much in it. The, the, Arya finds a bit of carrot to her delight. Yes. Yeah. It, you know, maybe just because we had just come from the Tyrion chapter where... In the, the chapter, um, Oberon Martell mentions that there are 77 courses going to be served at the royal wedding. It, it just kind of, in my head, it kind of contrasted with the fact that these people are eating a wheat cabbage soup yeah. and Arya felt lucky to get a piece of carrot. Well, uh, honestly, if you were throwing a wedding in the... Well, well actually, we're going to get to see a, rev- a wedding in the Riverlands very soon, but throwing a wedding in the riverlands True. is going to be a lot more challenging than in king's landing because of the privations of in the riverlands you know it's not right it's not the place you want to yes. be that's true yeah you just you know between the two chapters you can see the rich fat lords getting fatter while they wage the war yeah meanwhile these small folk who are just trying to live their lives are starving and dying yeah. in the process it's rough Beric is a complete mess. I mean, he's physically damaged by all these incidents that he's had. And he sort of seems haunted by what he can't remember. I mean, he says at one point that he doesn't remember the being dead parts. He remembers nothing about them. Right. But it also feels like he's losing touch. I think he also mentions that he feels like he's losing touch with his past and with reality generally. So it's it doesn't feel like the sort of thing you would recommend to anyone to do this oh yeah right yeah yeah last aria chapter we went through his six deaths up to this point and we had discussed the fact that a seventh death might be significant because sevens are significant in Mm -hmm. westeros um and then you know thoris backs us up here by saying it keeps getting harder the seventh death might be the end of us both yeah but as i thought about it though it's a little odd since seven is significant in the faith not the lord of not you know not relore necessarily 
numbers are always significant in religions. It's possible that there's a similarity over in Relor, but but yes, the same thought occurred to me. If, okay. if he doesn't come back the seventh time, then all the septons go, see? Uh, see, I told you. <laughs> but but th- Thoros also expresses a concern that Beric is doing it on purpose, that he's actually sort of starting to develop a taste for the sensation of dying and keeps allowing it to happen, which is, I mean, that's a clear sign that Thoros is very worried about Beric as well. Yeah, yeah. It, you you want start to wonder, is his... his increasingly riskiness and giving up his and willingness to give up his life possibly because he's losing some appeal to living because yeah. I, I think you just mentioned a minute ago he's aria says he doesn't sleep yeah he doesn't eat he can't remember much of his previous life he he says he couldn't find his castle that you know you know that he was the lord of he can't even remember the hair color of his betrothed right who uh, who knighted him? What his favorite foods were, and uh, we will learn. I w- I would tell everyone who his betrothed is, but we will learn who that through the course of the story. So I won't mention it. But I will mention this: according to George Martin, Beric Dondarrion is no longer a living being after his first first death. Okay. He he says his heart doesn't beat, his blood doesn't flow through his veins. Uh, he ref- he refers to him as a white animated by fire instead of by ice. Oh, I see. Interesting. Which fits because Beric breathed fire into him, metaphorically speaking. It fits, but he still he still has agency that the the ice whites clearly don't have. I mean, they're that is true. Mindless husks. And and I will say I knew this fact. But I didn't want to mention it until this chapter. But last Arya chapter, when the Hound killed him and blood came pouring out of his mouth and you out of his wound. You wanted to call that pedantry. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, but that's not how that's supposed to work. <laughs> and, uh, other, another interesting facet of this uh, is that some of the men, Lem is the one they use as an example, are in denial about it. I mean, Arya saw Beric die and get reincarnated. But Lem, who's seen this multiple times, is telling himself and telling Arya that, oh, he just got wounded, that Thoros is just an amazing healer. He's kind of like trying to distance himself from what he's seeing to try and keep himself sane, I guess. He's got to be using some heavy uh, rose-colored glasses right. there based on the description we get of what Thoris looks like. <laughs> okay, okay, you can get past the uh, the sword going through his his neck and shoulder there. But what about the huge dent in his head? <laughs> yes, what good point. How are you getting past that one? <laughs> yeah, he says it was a grievous wound, but Thoris healed it. And uh, yeah, that's when later when Beric says even... Brave men blind themselves when uh, they're afraid to see. Um, but yeah, uh, it seems like the Lord of Light might indeed have a plan for Beric. I mean, why else revive him this time? You know, because it's not Thoros who's it's not Thoros with an who's got a talent for doing this. It's Beric that he can do it to. It's it. He, right. He's always performed the same rites. And always prior to this, he's then buried the dead person in the ground. But now Beric, and only Beric, comes back to life. We'll be right back. 
Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, has Beric, has Thoris tried this with other people, other brothers, well, Brotherhood if, without if banner the, members? If it is the rites of death, then yes, he does it every time one of them dies. And so it's only Beric it's that's only Beric. coming back. So yeah. it certainly seems like there's a reason why Beric is yeah. being chosen to come back. And what we have, we have been seeing magic increasing in the world. Quaith True. told us that in Karth about the magician, you know, the magician climbing the fire ladder. We've seen Haleen the pyromancer mention that their spells are getting stronger. And so, you know, maybe this is a new trick that the priests of R'hllor can perform nowadays yeah yeah but like you say strange then if it was just an increase in their magical power that it would be focused on one person so that what you right. said that relor has something in mind for beric feels like it rings true to me yes agreed the big theme of this chapter i think is uh aria's hopes and fears and needs and wants uh she's got the feeling that she's unwanted at home she feels abandoned where she is now compounded in this chapter by Gendry's decision to stay with the Brotherhood. Absolutely. Her need to be involved in things, her wanting to fight, her thirst for revenge. Uh, all in all, not great. If you were psychologically examining her, you'd be concerned by all these things. Very much so. Very much, yes. And th it's a really sad scene when Arya asks Thoris if... He could bring back a man without a head yeah. just one time. Yeah. You don't have to do it six times, yeah. just one time. And, you know, of course, that's not going to happen. But you can understand why she felt like she at least had to ask. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. If, if, if I can get you his bones, could you bring him back? <laughs> and and it's, I mean, differently sad, but also sad that she thinks she wouldn't be wanted in River Run. I mean, that's, it's a strange about, the love that their families have for them. You know, they can sometimes be blind to it. They pay any ransom to get her back in a heartbeat. Absolutely. The fact that she's yes. not good at needlework doesn't matter one iota to them. <laughs> not, not even They've the tried slightest. to teach her, but they don't care, you know. Yeah, and, and, you know, of course, the adults are completely confident that Rob will pay. Right, exactly. And, and it was kind of nice you know, of them as well, Ber Beric and Thoros, to try and reassure her about that. Yeah, it made me think that maybe they should, instead of using the word ransom, just use the word reward. Right. We, we, yeah. we need a reward. It just has a better connotation, you know? And you'd think, especially since the Brotherhood is doing a lot of good in the realm, harassing the Lannister force, for one, and, yeah. you know, feeding the small folk who are now part of Rob's uh, subjects, yeah. you know, uh, that they might that rob might and edmure might want to help them out with their cause since there are a lot of the boots on the ground out there right. and they're the ones using their own funds to buy food for the small folks right so it seems like it, they're one of the few people 
or Barrick here is one of the few people who we've heard voice the fact that we need food because winter is coming. That's something Rob should be saying all the time. Yes. <laughs> and, and we, if only he had some way of remembering to say those words. Right. <laughs> we get a, a, a little idea of how fast winter is coming in this chapter. When Arya mentions that the trees are mostly bare now with a few withered brown right. leaves, autumn surely doesn't didn't last very long. I wonder if being the Stark not in Winterfell but in River Run has made him forget that winter's coming. <laughs> He's there with his like with his woolen jacket all open, letting the cool air <laughs> onto his chest. Like I wish winter would come. <laughs> winter's never getting here. <laughs> Yeah, ultimately, Beric Dondarrion kind of um, tries to alleviate Arya's fears and says, I'm going to return you to your family. I can't bring your father back, but I can return you back to your family. And she says, do you promise? And he says, on my honor as a knight. So, you know, I, I will say she's heard that before. Yeah. She's, she, she thinks herself, Joran promised me to get me back to my family too, and that didn't work out. Yeah, so. it, Beric could have said on his life, but even that sounds cheap coming from him. <laughs> <laughs> I swear on my life. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> and then when they're kind of just settling down for the night, Tom is playing a, a series of songs all dealing with water. Some of them are The Mother's Tears, Lord Hart Wrote Out on a Rainy Day, and we get some lyrics of the reigns of Castamere, which I think might be the first time we've actually gotten any lyrics. I believe so, yes. Yes. And we've talked about it. It's come up. The reigns of Castamere has come up. And we, we've heard our characters talk about it, and you and I have talked about it. And there's surely about something foreboding in the Lannisters' past that it hasn't been fully fleshed out yet, so we won't do that. No, but The lyrics in, of this song give you... Pretty much. It, it certainly gives you an idea of what went wrong. Right. <laughs> Back in Tyrion 3, Tyrion thought about uh, Tywin extinguishing the reins of Castamere and the Tarbex of Tarbeck Hall for disloyalty right. when Tywin was just a boy. And then in the same chapter, after the small council meeting, uh, Tywin informs them that Rob has married Jane Westerling. And Tyrion says... The crag is near Castamere and Tarbeck Hall. Surely the Westerlings have ridden past Castamere and saw the lesson there. And so we're getting a picture. And then Roos said to Jamie that Hote should ask the Castamere's about running afoul of Tywin. And Jamie's response is, there are no more Castamere's. Wait, is it, is it the rains or the Castamere's? There are no more rains. Sorry, yes, yes, yes I meant yeah, to say yeah. rains. And yeah. also, who was a boy when all that happened? Ta Tyrion, right? Tywin. Oh, when Tywin, Tywin was, was a boy, boy. Was his father was doing it. No, he took he took charge. No, when even as a child he took charge of this atrocity. He was a young, a younger man. I, I guess see. Say. I see. Okay. Just to mention, the the TV show really loved that song. They they wrote a tune to it, and they that was used multiple times in the TV show. I think it was used more than once as the end credit song. Ah. Uh. Right. For for the particularly dark episodes, I would assume. <laughs> uh, and I will I'll give a little explanation of the lyrics. So the lyrics are basically about a lord saying to another lord, 
that you think you're big and bad, but you're only cat of a different coat. And that is because the rain sigil is a red lion. Okay. In fact, the two lions look almost identical, except for their different colors and their faces are facing in different directions or opposite directions. Um, And then ultimately, as the lyrics go on, rain falls on that Lord's hall, but there's nobody left to hear it. Right. Which, uh, you know, doesn't bode well for the... For for the Lord. <laughs> Edit this out if I'm wrong, but didn't you just say that Tyrion said they were wiped out? Yes. Right, so right, right. That's why there's no one there to see the rain falling, because there are no right. rains left. <laughs> okay. So Gendry decides to stay with the Brotherhood without banners. Um, obviously, the work that they're doing is... It's a mixed bag, but mostly it's good. I mean, mostly it's, you know, caring for the common people. Gendry sees himself as a common person. He could smith anywhere, but he wants to help people. So uh, Arya is furious about it. She wants him to come with her to River Run and be a smith there. He could choose anywhere. He's choosing this life over the life that she's offering him. She needs to understand that people have their own autonomy. And right, they they've they've got a bond, the two of them. But it's it's not they're not married, they're not siblings. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two, if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com/slash/ghostsheronhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, I can see both sides. Obviously, it's very it'd be very hard for Arya, who's been through so much with Gendry and has lost so many everyone, everyone in her life. He's the last person, right? He he's he's the last fixed point in her life, basically. Yes, it reminded. Did you ever watch the show Justified? I never have. You've with mentioned it. Timothy before. Oliphant was the uh, yeah the lead. Well, he plays the Raylan Givens, the primary protagonist. And the primary antagonist, uh, the two characters, you know, there's a lot of kind of cat and mouse. The Raylan Givens is always trying to catch Boyd Crowder, who is the um, antagonist. But in their younger days, they were coal miners together. And anytime there's kind of like, well, why, why do you have this special connection to him? He, both of them will say, we dug coal together. You know, they they went they, they went through what must be a very difficult, challenging task together of digging coal, and it creates a special bond. And Ari and Gendry have lived through everything that they've lived through since they left King's Landing together. So when the winds of winter come bond. out, at some point, Gendry and Arya will meet back up, and they'll say, "We dug coal together." You know? We dug coal together, right? right. Okay. <laughs> I, I take I take your point. There is sly wording here by Martin. Oh, go on. I missed it. Gendry says to uh, Beric Dondarrion, my, man, my hand was made to hold a hammer, which is... Oh, I see it now. When, when, when I hear it in your voice, I hear it. <laughs> when I read it myself, I was just like, yeah, he's, he's a smith. Right. Of course, I'm referring to the fact that his father, Robert Baratheon, his primary weapon was a war hammer. Ah, clever. And then in, this, in the same kind of paragraph... 
Genry mentions that he liked what Beric Dondarrion said about being Robert's men. You know, again, he doesn't realize the connection, but we, you know, we know what the connection is, so we can see the uh, the sly wording, as I said. Yeah. So the the other character sort of in this chapter that um, when he makes a reappearance is the Hound. So he he was captured by these guys. He got away by winning the trial by combat, but they confiscated his gold. And as Angai explains afterwards, he had quite a big chest of gold, which he'd won at the Hans Tawny, Ned's Hans Tawny. Uh, Angai himself won quite a lot of gold, which he blew at Alayayas. I mean, which which actually reminds me, I might have actually said this on the podcast before, but um, there was a very famous soccer player called George Best, um, who was really extremely talented. Pele said that George Best was the best player of all time. Oh, wow. So there you go. That's, That's quite a compliment. Pe- yeah. Pele is probably the only people person who didn't think it was Pele. You know I mean? Uh, <laughs> right. But George Best um, lived lived a life. I mean, he was a big star in English soccer. He's from Northern Ireland, but he, he, was, he played for Manchester United. And he lived the fast life in the 1970s. And he was just, he was a wild child and, was always in the tabloids and uh later in life he he went bankrupt and he in his bankruptcy uh filings he was interviewed about it and he said something along the lines of um i blew all my money on birds booze and fast cars and the rest i just squandered That was totally worth it. <laughs> and that's kind of what I guy says when uh, one, of, one of the other brothers says, um, oh, you should have made one of those women an, an honest woman and bought, some, bought a farm and raised turnips, turnips, you know, grew turnips. And he's like, what a terrible idea that would be. Turn my gold into turnips. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really, this is a... Um, this is a this little brew house here is holding a hands torny championship reunion because the hound won the uh-huh. the, the jousting, Angai won the archery, and Thor Samir won the melee. Oh wow! Yeah. So all three winners are are here, and I went and looked it up. Uh, the hound won forty thousand gold dragons for winning the jousting, and. Uh, uh, Thoris Amir won 20,000 gold dragons and Angai won 10,000. So, you know, it's a lot of a lot of money being thrown around there. I don't know how big a gold dragon is, but gold is desperately heavy. Gold right. Gold is extremely <laughs> heavy. So, even if the coins are very small, 40,000 of them is going to weigh a lot. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's many times heavier than lead. Yeah, have you ever felt lead? I mean, you may have felt gold being you, McKelly, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. sleeping on bars of it, <laughs> right? I rest my weary head on a pillow of gold bars. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking, you know, um, Angai mentions that the Hound won and that he won. But no one mentions that Thoris won. I, I'm imagining Thoris is like, yeah, and guy pissed it all away. Good thing we got the hounds winning. Someone's like, hey, hey, Thoris, didn't you participate in that tourney? How'd you fare? Um, yeah, right. Uh, Same as that guy. Women, wine, all gone, all gone. What? What? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> but 
but the hound i mean so so now he's had these forty thousand uh gold dragons stolen from him i mean what's he gonna do i mean he's he's rode off he's become a vagrant basically now he's lost his money and he's he's risked life and limb to come back and try and extort it back out of the brotherhood they've given it away nothing they can do about that but right. he he stomps off in a sulk but you got to think he's going to be thinking about ways that he can regain something here and as i thought about that the one thing that occurred to me was that there is one possession which is quite a bit lighter than 40,000 gold dragons <laughs> which is worth almost as much and that is the body embodiment of Arya Stark if you could take if you right. could steal her and take her back to Riverrun yourself you might get a reward even if you are the hound yeah yeah you wonder you know we haven't been privy to all the conversations that have been had around the hound might have it might it have been mentioned that we're going to ransom Arya to her family because otherwise the hound would have to think, oh, you know what I could do? I could... Right, but 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 I think he could think of that himself. I mean, they know. Oh, sure, he could. Sure, they, yeah. I mean, if you had Arya Stark and you were in the Riverlands, you'd be like, what am I going to do with this extra mouth to feed? Oh, hang on. <laughs> her wealthy family is two days' ride away. And as we're talking about ransoming... I was just reminded to put in perspective how much gold this might be. Edmure, uh, Bruce Bolton said in the last Jamie chapter that Edmure's offering a thousand gold dragons for the return of Jamie. And Jamie says to Bruce, my sister will give you ten times that. That's still only ten thousand. That guy We're could still... buy that. <laughs> I know. He, he'd miss out on the ladies and the turnips, but he could still buy it. He could buy Jamie. <laughs> That's how much money, how much, how much gold dragons are talking about here. But even forgetting about what he might do with regards to Arya, it's just worrying for the Riverlands that, I mean, you think about Sandor Clegane. He has got no money, no purpose, and he's got significant fighting prowess and very dubious ethics. It, he is yes. a dangerous character to have wandering around the Riverlands. I agree. I, I also wonder if he might go and try and get revenge on his brother, because his brother's not too far away. And that might well, be his end true. game here is to go and yeah. defeat his brother and then claim House Clegane for himself. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually quite astute of Thoris to think about the fact that without this this gold, the hound is just aimless. He's he's got no master anymore. He's got no no one's gonna take him in for you know so, so hang on. Their side of Thoros the had this thought before me. God. <laughs> not fair well you know you just you'll dream it tonight and then it will be your own thoughts <laughs> but then thoris uh thoris mentions that the lord of light is not done with the hound yet and beric dundarian backs that thought up so we'll see if you know they believe that the hound still has some role to play in this battle against the great other possibly yeah. And, and I think, I mean, we're just going to, we're at the end of the chapter now. Arius thinks about how she once felt powerful when she was the ghost in Harrenhal, but now she's powerless and, and alone. The re whole reason you want to mention that is because of the typo in the book, right? <laughs> Apparently it's not in every book. It's in multiple, I, though. I've seen it in multiple. Yes. Both my copies. Uh, um, yes. And uh, yeah, the the typo in, in our copies is that Arya had 
seen the ghost in Harrow Hall, I think, yeah. right? Rather than been Beamed, the ghost in Harrow yes, Hall. Yes, exactly. That, that it was supposed. It was definitely supposed to be been. She she had been yes. the ghost in Harrow Hall, but it said seen yeah. in both my copies. And I will say, Roy Detrice says been in the audio book as well. But um, but yeah. So Arya goes to bed thinking about the usual things about you know the people she wants to see dead. But she also thinks about the people that she's lost. She has a second list, a lost list uh, this night. And the lost list consists of Hot Pie, Lamy Green Hands, Yorin, Cyril Farrell, her father, even Jack and Hagar. And now Gendry is leaving her. And uh, well, that's an incredible amount of loss, first of all, right. for a yeah. small child, especially in such succession. Uh but then she has a kind of half-hearted recitation of her usual nightly prayer kill list. And she actually can't even fully recall all the faces. Right. And I thought maybe possibly in comparison to the first list, the lost list, this one feels a little less important. Because, uh, you know, those are people she wants to see dead versus people that she's like missing in her life. Right. Yes. Just see. Yes. That's an astute observation, McKelly. And also it it, it 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 reflects well on you that you saw that. You have, you have a big heart, and I appreciate you for that. But anyway, give me some background. Well, uh so background, um so the hound says to the, the Brotherhood that your own god deemed me innocent, so give me my gold. And Thoris Amir responds that uh, although you were given your life back by R'hllor, that R'hllor didn't pro- proclaim you Baylor the Blessed, which, first of all, is, I feel like that's a bit of a mixed metaphor here. Because, Good point. Yes, light, Lord of Light and the Faith of the Seven, two totally different religions. Uh, Baylor the Blessed was uh, very much associated with the Seven. So, anyway, uh, well, so... A long time ago, we did give you some info on Baylor the Blessed, way back in Ned. How do you know this, Kelly? Have you been consulting the database? I have. That's exactly how I know this. <laughs> so I, I am going to repeat some of that here, as it's been years since you've last heard it. Uh, but I'm also going to throw in some well, new info weeks to help. If you're binging, <laughs> right? Yes, possibly. Uh, so, but I'll throw in some new info to help. Uh, fill out the picture of Baylor a little bit further. So, Baylor the first Targaryen was the ninth Targaryen king. He ruled for 10 years in between his brother Darren the first and his uncle Viserys the second. We will hear more about Baylor and Viserys' relationship in an upcoming chapter not too far in the distant future. Anyway, aside from being a king, Baylor was also a septon and therefore very pious. His reign was incredibly influenced by the Faith of the Seven. Uh, he was considered weak by some, and not in small part due to his appearance, as he was quite gaunt from frequent fastings. Uh, he was a very charitable king, though, especially with the small folk, uh, and of course that was much to the consternation of many of the nobility. Uh, and he was also rather sexually repressed. He kept his sisters, including his once wife Dana, imprisoned in what's known as the Maiden Vault to guard against the possibility of them losing their virtue. I will say just a, 
A chapter or two ago, I mentioned that Dana got pregnant while in the main. I'm going to say, so. at least one of them got pregnant in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a big fail there. Uh, as king, he had his marriage with Dana dissolved as it was never consummated, and they were married before he became king. So it wasn't him then. Right. Okay. It was not him. All in all, for his charity, he is largely fondly remembered, especially by the small folk. And, you know, the great sept of Baylor in King's Landing is named oh, after yeah. him. Comparison with the television show, uh, none of the rescue of the Brown brothers happens. In fact, the whole Brave Companions is basically dropped from the TV show. If you remember, it was um, oh. it was Bruce Bolton's man, Locke, was the guy who cut Jamie's hand off. So right. they're just sort of like thrown away. The Hound does not come back for his gold. Arya does talk to Beric and Thoros about the wounds, the revivals, the possibility of bringing back her father. Maisie Williams does a very good job of the acting here as well. She's As she's talking and sort of like seemingly keeping it together, tears are rolling down her face and it's very well done. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she's still That's a young kid at the time, good. but she did a good job of it. That, right. And that, that conversation is kept very close indeed. So, uh, but they they tell her they're going to ransom her. They 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 don't sugarcoat it. She is going to be ransomed, and uh, okay, like you said, reward might have been a better way to describe it. Right, right. <laughs> it's all about wording. Yes. So, pedantry corner. So, there is a typo in one of the books. Now, forget that. Moving on. <laughs> now I'm going to sit back with the bowl of popcorn right. and let you do your thing here. So. George Martin has learned his astronomy since the last mention of the moon, okay? This chapter, the eastern sky was turning pink and the half moon was overhead. Correct, George. That is how it should be. Okay. okay. That is a waning third quarter moon. If the sun at dawn, a third quarter moon should be overhead and half a half moon. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, but... It's not pedantry because he was correct this time. He was wrong last time, but he's correct right. this time. But that does give us an interesting timeline point because we could follow the course of the moon. So what I did was I got hold of an electronic copy of the book and I went and searched for the word moon. And I pulled together oh. all the times that the moon appears. Okay. Last time we had a half moon, as you remember, was Jamie and Brienne and the unfortunate Cleos left the inn of the kneeling man. Now, because of that prior pedantry, it wasn't clear if that moon was waxing or waning. If you want to take a guess at that, when he, uh, when he said half the night had passed, was it more or less than half? My instinct is slightly less than half. If you say half the night has passed, it probably isn't half the night. You're just tired. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, Rounding one way or the other. Yeah, they get tired long before midnight. So it would be a waxing half moon, first quarter half moon in that case. Okay. Okay. There was one other piece of evidence to suggest it was waxing. Brienne wanted to ride that evening because the moon would be bright enough. That suggests to me that the moon is up and bright as soon as the sun sets. Not there okay. would be darkness from sunset till midnight and then the moon would come up. If You, you wouldn't oh. say that if that was the case, right? True, okay. yes. All right, so we all oh, agree. That's fascinating. A, that's a waxing half moon at that point, okay? I'm enjoying this. Okay, good. All right. So this has been either two or six weeks since then. Oh, okay. There you go. This is the point. So obviously at this point I went on a tear. I'm like, all right, let's let's <laughs> let's let's tear this apart. Where was the moon? All right. So the Fist of the First Men prologue, there was no moon. Chet said there'll be no moon. That suggests it's a new moon, but it could be a third quarter or later moon because 
then the moon, the moon wouldn't rise until after midnight, giving you time to do your dirty deeds in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> then the next like mention the is in chapter seven, John one. Um, he's riding for the wall. Um, it seems like it was getting towards fall. So that would be a little less than two weeks later. That feels about right. Okay. You with me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Chapter 11, Jamie 2. Brienne and Jamie at the Kneeling Man. That's the waxing half moon we've just agreed upon. Okay. So maybe uh-huh. that came between Chet and John because that's a waxing half moon. John, it was getting towards full. So it was a bit further along. So maybe, although this chapter came afterwards, maybe that timeline was just a little bit before. All right. Yeah. yeah. We we know that they're not always exactly. perfectly linear. Then chapter 12, Tyrion 2. Tyrion's waiting for moonrise to see Shay. That suggests a slightly waning moon because moonrise would be after dark. It would be weird to arrange a rendezvous for moonrise if the moon rose during the day. <laughs> it would be weird. <laughs> so that suggests Could have just picked any time at that point. <laughs> so, you know everyone's going to see you, right? Because it's going to be light. <laughs> Right, so then we the, the no mention of the moon back until chapter twenty four, Brand two. There was moonlight late in the night when Bran met the little. That suggests full to waning. Okay. okay. Chapter twenty six, mm-hmm. John three. His cavern assignation with the grit was during the dark of the moon. Now, at first, I thought that meant a new moon, but again, a waning moon doesn't rise until long after dark, so it might have been in that period too. So, a few okay. days to a week after it was full, perhaps. Chapter twenty nine, Aria five. In a wolf dream, she sees the moon break through clouds. No clues to the shape of it, but she then woke up. So it seemed like it was at the end of the night. That suggests probably waning at that point. Okay. Don't worry. I'm going to tie all this back together at the end. I'm just going through the list for now. Okay. okay? Chapter 31, Jamie 4. When Brienne is trying to keep Jamie going after his amputation, the moon was a graceful crescent, but he could see lots of stars. So this is a waxing crescent. Early evening, waning crescent would be just before dawn. Uh, The way the story reads, this was soon after sunset. So, all right. Tying that all together. About three weeks between Jamie and Brienne at the Kneeling Man and the post-amputation ride to Harrenhal. Feel about right? Three uh-huh. weeks, sure. yeah? Yeah. yeah. About three weeks between... This is this is where the... Cover the kids' ears, slightly saucy joke coming. Three weeks between Chet's Craven insurrection and John's Cavern Trist erection. <laughs> he added this after the fact and told me not to read ahead. So- it sounds like I did all this for this joke, but I promise I didn't. I did all this and then I thought of that joke. <laughs> We're so silly. We are. Arya is roughly on the same timeline as uh, Jamie and Brienne, which makes sense given Bruce Bolton's recent comment about her. Right. Uh, yeah. Bran maybe is roughly in line with John from his little um, meeting. Uh, Tyrion is the one that seems to be out of sync with everyone, but King's Landing is a bit distinct, and so maybe it doesn't matter so much, you know. Unless he really was right. going to just do it in the middle of the day, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> he didn't really think it through. He said at moonrise, it didn't really think, wait a second. <laughs> 
I meant sunset. I meant sunset. Sun's beating down. He's like, oh god, is that the moon? He's <laughs> got things to do. <laughs> you have some pedantry. Wow. No. Okay. Forget it. All right. Forget it. <laughs> Yours is too good. <laughs> well done. That is cool stuff. Music oh. notes. Okay. Now I gotta. Now I gotta get my bearings back together. After all that, that was. Good stuff. Really well done. Uh, So recently, a really beautiful book cover for the Winds of Winter showed up on Instagram. Why is that a big deal? Lots of fans have probably created fan art for what Winds of Winter might look like. I mean, we've had more than a decade to think about it. Well, the reason it's kind of a big deal is that uh, the person who posted it happens to be the same guy who did the cover art for Rise of the Dragon. Oh. Ertak Altenaz created the amazing depiction of Balerion that fronts Rise of the Dragon. So, the question I posted on social media is, is this just him messing around with a Winds of Winter idea, or might this be a leak of what's to come? Mm. He, he did comment a lot in his Instagram post, but never said one way or the other. Uh, I will say... Um, one of our listeners pointed out in a message to me on Instagram is that it says hashtag cover art, not hashtag fan art. Oh. So thought maybe that was a bit of a clue Interesting. there. Uh, Interesting. So I don't know. I really don't know. But I, it is really pretty. You should if check out the social medias and um, uh, I've shared it around. It's a really beautiful book cover. Um, we've been spelling Jamie's name incorrectly. This whole time, we've been spelling him yep. like a contraction of James, but it's Jaime. It's J-A-I-M-E. We feel stupid. Yes. <laughs> I can believe it. I, I, I mentioned in the Discord server when it was pointed out, like one of the very first lessons they teach you in journalism school is to make sure you have the spelling of someone's mm-hmm. name right. You know what we're going to do? We're going to add a new section to the podcast, which is the misspellings of Jamie. Every time it gets spelled J-A-I-M-E, we're going to go, it's wrong again. We've decided again. it's J-A-M-I-E. I feel like an idiot, right, McKelly. Yeah, that's, well, you know. We always say we're amateur podcasters, and we're proving it here. And I just, I wanted to point out another thing. Um. In Jamie 5, J-A-I-M-E 5, of A Storm of Swords, uh, we discussed whether it was fire or wildfire that caused the destruction of Summerhall and the death of Aegon V, our beloved Egg. Well, Vanessa of the Lord Paramounts, of the uh, background database fame, she pointed out that all evidence points to regular fire. McKelly, so I think it's safe to assume that I don't remember that discussion. But I have an inkling that I thought it was a regular fire, and you thought it was wildfire. <laughs> I have no no recollection of such a thing. Convenient. <laughs> I see. I see how it is. All right. And don't forget, if you're considering signing up for an Audible account, if you use our show link, you get a 30-day free trial plus one free audiobook or two free audiobooks if you're a Prime member. That's audibletrial.com slash ghostsharonhall. All right, let's conclude. So Arya's seen the Brotherhood without banners in action. They're good. And they are relatively decent as well, in the sense of being real human beings. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, I agree. And not if you've uh, run afoul of them. No. <laughs> or mistreated the people. Right. Yes. But yeah, they're doing, they seem to be doing good work in the Riverlands. Yeah. You know? And as a result, so. Gendry wants to stay with them. It makes sense. Uh, although, as they warn him, it's not the easier life he's choosing. It's uh... yeah, you know about that. He uh, Bar- Barrick says, "I can't afford to pay you. You should take the job in River Run." And he, and Gendry says, "I don't care about being paid. I just want my forge, and I just want to make stuff." And I was thinking. Where's the forge? I thought the same thing, McKay. They roam the riverlands. Where's where's he gonna? Maybe he's you know gonna go. Maybe there's a forge at the Hollow Hill, right? Or uh, you know, Acorn Hall. Maybe there's a forge. There was. You know, we saw the empty smithy at Acorn Hall. Good call. Maybe he could make that home, right? But of course, he could have done that at River Run, possibly as well. Yeah. So, but but at Acorn Hall, he could be the Brotherhood's. Uh, smith yeah personal yeah yeah, personal smith and also it's a place to find them finally right yes yeah (laughs) Arya can't really complain about this uh she talks the talk about you know employing him when they get to river run but she doesn't really have anything to offer him i mean he knows who she is but she can't guarantee that his family is going to treat her family is going to treat him well yeah she can't guarantee it but we know they would, but Gendry wouldn't. True. Yes, that is true. Yeah, it's it's certainly sad. Arya losing Gendry that hurts. I I totally understand how she feels betrayed because he's all she has left. But I will say it looks like the brave, not the brave companions, the Brotherhood without banners has every intention of re- returning her to River Run. So you know maybe. Maybe she'll make it back in time to attend her uncle's wedding at the Twins. Well, if she gets to nice. River Run before they leave, she can go with them. Perfect. Maybe she could be like, uh, you know, the Flower Girl. Yes. They better hurry though. Yeah. <laughs> no time. No time to waste. If if my moon calculations are correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the Hound's return is curious. If if he believes the gold is gone, which I believe the gold is gone, and I think he believes the gold is gone, then will he try to head south to get it back? Seems like a long shot that you would find it. And if he doesn't believe them, will he come back and try to find it there where they are? Does he think the Brotherhood have it right now and he might try and murder them all for it? Right, that they were just lying about having sent it south. That seems like a suicide mission, but I did notice he was like, he was making eye contact with every one of them, remembering their faces. Like he was making his own bedtime list. <laughs> That's right. When he went to sleep that yeah. night, he was a Thoris of Mir. That guy, that guy, that other guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem like he's lost and becoming a bit desperate. And, you know, what does he do with his life now? So, but like I said, Beric Dondarrion and Thor Samir seem to take this Lord of Light's plan for the Hound seriously. So, and then I thought, if that's true, why would Beric say, if you see the Hound lurking around, kill his horse? Would that not interfere with the Lord of Light's plans a bit? <laughs> if, he, if all of a sudden the Hound is on foot? <laughs> you achieve some of the same things on foot. Certainly more than with an arrow through your head. Yes, you, yes, more than that, for sure. So Thoris has recounted how he might, how he pulls off his parlor trick. Um, it's basically no, nothing special. He does the same rites he does for anyone, but Beric comes back to life. Yeah. It's got to freak him out. It's got to freak Thoros out almost as much as Beric, I would think. 
I'm sure. Especially the first time it happened. <laughs> now they're both just getting used to it. <laughs> but it does beg the question, has he tried it on others? And you pointed out that if this is a last rites ritual, he surely has done this to other brotherhood members that have died. And then the other question to me is, are other red priests finding the same thing? Again, it doesn't appear to be happening to everyone, but another red priest who happens upon another pawn of Relor might bring that one back to life by mistake as well. Oh, right. So yeah. the the only other red priest we know offhand is Melisande, but maybe someone in uh, Stannis's retinue might find themselves on the re- receiving end of a reanimating kiss. Did she, could she, track down poor Maester Cresson and try reviving him? Maybe she did it to herself. She was like, poison! Wait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going next week? Uh, next week, we are headed north to check in on Bran. Bran Stark? It's been so long. Yeah. I know, it has been a while. Yeah, and uh, he does something that even surprises him. All right. So you have to, you'll want to check in and see what that is. There's three ways that you can help us. You could leave us a review. You could buy merchandise at ghostofharrenhall.threadless.com. You could buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostharrenhall, where you could become a sustainer at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level and get super duper benefits. That's right. And of course, you could reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. You can go out and follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.